Hare Krishna, everyone. Uh, this is Bhadra Das. Um, I live in New Zealand, and um, I've been part of the Bhakti community here since 2005. Uh, where, but I originally am from the UK, and I began my uh, Krishna consciousness around the end of the 90s, um, 98, 99, started part participating in chanting and things. And it wasn't until like 2000, 2001 that I stabilized and spent time in the temple and did a lot of projects there. Um, but this podcast is um, really about just letting you know what is Thriving Bhakti all about? Well, it's come about because I have been involved with um, Loft, the, the Loft Outreach Program here, headed up by His Holiness David uh, Swami, I'm a disciple of, of, of Devaruna Swami, and um, I came from sort of the temple in London where we did a lot of books and we did a lot of Harinam and it was six days a week and uh, I lived in the temple for a year full time, but I did a lot of marathons before that for some years, moved in for some marathons and and I was always surprised how much distribution there was of the holy name and books and stuff, but I um, I didn't see many people, especially from Western backgrounds, coming to the temple. Um, and I noticed it wasn't really catering for the mindset of the current sort of uh, non-Indian Western background um, uh, audiences that we're, we're, we're giving books to. So over those years, um, it was always on my mind, but I was overhearing these tapes and cassettes from called the Loft Outreach in New Zealand, and I became very inspired of how we had to create environments and bridge and help create environments for Westerners to come along. So that ended up me through... Krishna's arrangement, uh, coming in contact with the disciples of Devamrita Swami and meeting Devamrita Swami back in the early 2001 and two, and uh, and then I accepted him in my heart as my spiritual master. And long story short, by 2005, I ended up in um, coming to New Zealand. Uh, I had a background in teaching, and I'm a musician, and I had been a plumber, and I'd been done a sociology and anthropology at university, but I, it, it all ended up with me and getting into teaching, actually. So I did some teaching before I went away. So when I came to New Zealand, um, I had um, skill sets in teaching and stuff like that. And I started to um, be part of an amazing um, cre creation here of how they remember Mirage uh, modeling through the Prabhupada, how Prabhupada was always um scan he scanned for the first year in new york how how are we gonna how can we understand the audience the mindset of the people he's trying to reach and at that time it was all about you know india gurus and you know eastern philosophy and stuff like that so um so of course Prabhupada very much sort of captured them being a swami and all that it was all in fashion then but Obviously, times have moved on, and young people are not looking to move in temples and find gurus and swamis, and you know they're very much uh, just into hedonism and you know the bodily concept of life even more. And uh, David Maharaj has created these amazing loft centers, which were just kind of cool, relaxed, modern lounges, so to speak, that had removed all these kind of cultural barriers and things that inhibited people coming in contact with Bhakti. And it was great because uh, when we're distributing books. Um, you know, we had a place to invite people back to where they would feel comfortable and it was kind of their place rather than our place, you know. Um, so I saw success in that. In fact, I gave out some books when I first arrived and 
one lady who is now initiated called Gitavli, and she became my wife uh, years later, but not straight away. But she got a book and she came to the loft. Um, it was called Gora Yoga in Wellington at the time. And she just liked yoga and she was hanging out there. And they had nice Sunday programs like Love Feasts, I suppose, but modern versions of the Love Feast, where it was all guest centered. And, um, and uh, she became a devotee and she went away, went back to her, to because of her visa, back to Canada and came back and to Australia and she became a devotee. Um, and then she was ended up at the temples and wearing the saris and all the kind of cultural things we have in our ISKCON movement. So I was just completely blown away how um, these centers were, were, were really making devotees. It was like getting the books and then helping them read the books and helping them take up Bhakti. So the, the motto was this. Um, we make it easy to come to Bhakti. We make it's easy to grow in Bhakti and and easy to distribute to others. And this culture here in New Zealand has created quite a storm across the ISKCON world as a very famous model, a very a very influential model for um, bridging Westerners towards the Krishna consciousness uh, practices and culture. So I've stayed here for 17 years. I've been giving workshops and seminars pretty much every week. Um, in and out, really learning how to develop the way to present Krishna consciousness to the to the modern mindset and the modern um, person living in the world. And um, so, so I've had a lot of experience. Um, I've also opened up my home for the last nine years um, called a contemporary Vedic ashram where um, young men who come, travelers, we get a lot of Germans, friends, we, get, we get a lot of European uh, persons coming through who travel, they come to the cool loft like yoga lounge, they take up some chanting, and then I invite them to my home, and they um, start to acclimatize to Bhakti very slowly. We don't have too high expectations, we just give them a, a fun experience, and eventually they, um, I say, why don't you stay, and I have men stay with me, and there I teach the basic uh, Krishna consciousness practices. So I've had French, German, Belgium, Indian, uh, United Kingdom, uh, where else we've had um, can yeah, Canadian people live here, um, usually six to eight men a year. And they all actually over a few years, you know, help them overcome their Western habits and start the practices of Bhakti. And I've had men living with me for like two, three, four years, they end up staying with me for. And they go on to marry, and some go on to the Brahmachari ashram. So it's called a contemporary ashram. It, the first one that was here in New Zealand was by Mahavan um, in Wellington, where I stayed when I arrived in 2005. And I was inspired how householders, how grihastas like myself, can actually do so much outreach and open up our homes to create devotees uh, if we just explore and become entrepreneurial. Um, yes, I'm really into entrepreneurship, a spiritual entrepreneurship. I really, really believe like thriving Bhakti, coming back and linking it. Um, thriving Bhakti is really about grounding ourselves in understanding as devotees, we are entrepreneurs. And I have this term entrepreneurs.com, O-M, uh, which is another podcast, um, uh, other podcast setting, um, page that I have, um, and Thriving Bhakti is really about helping devotees ground themselves that within our Bhakti movement, within what we do, is we have to think like an entrepreneur. We have to become emotionally resilient. We have to become disciplined. We have to understand that what we're practicing in Bhakti is no different than what a successful person, an entrepreneur, does in the, in, in, in the material world. A sports person, for instance, or a success-minded person. There are success principles within Krishna consciousness 
and the science and the lifestyle that we have to live in order to be successful, whether we want to be um, successful spiritually or materially. And in the last three, four years, I've been um, connected to the um, outside of Christian consciousness through through changing my um, idea, how I want to make money. I've been working with entrepreneurs who are very successful in all areas of their lives. I'm not talking entrepreneurs who are just into inventing and making money. I'm talking holistic entrepreneurs who have successful marriages, successful relationships, successful health, successful from, from a material perspective. And I was inspired that when I got around this 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 group that I've been involved with, you know, multi-millionaires, people who are financially free, and they 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 um the way that they are uh, apply their discipline, the rising early in the morning, having good habits, eradicating um, negative things, getting into positive thinking. I was so inspired, and I could see in our Bhakti movement, we have all that in it. It's built into what we do. It's the perfection of these principles. But I, but I see a lot of devotees, and I was there myself, is that we carry a lot of this negative, um, non-success mindset into our bhakti, and it affects our ability to get good habits. It affects our ability to have good sadhana, um, have good relationships, because we have certain conditioning that we bring in. And I think, and I've experienced even, you know, because I've helped many men over the years and also developed myself better, that we can be using bhakti to keep a poverty negative mindset that really inhibits our ability to have good sadhana and good habits. So thriving bhakti is really about getting devotees to really come down to earth to learn the proper mindset that is preventing them from having good sadhana and good spiritual habits. It's a mindset issue. It's a lot of the time we're trying to do different things we're trying to change. Oh, I want to. I think I'll try and do this now. I'll try and get my sixteen rounds now. I just got to get better at this. I've just got to. And the actual thinking behind that, the actual what's behind it, the program is what's wrong, and this is what's preventing us from moving forward. We're carrying in the wrong mindset, negative mindset, limiting beliefs, and and we can use Krishna consciousness philosophy to do that. And we use how do we use it? We use the name humility. Oh, Prabhu, yeah, I'm so fallen. I'm so this. I'm so that. Well, yes, that may be true, but this. But if that humility doesn't increase our enthusiasm and confidence and our quality and quantity of service, then it's simply Maya. So a lot of the times we can make excuses of why I can't do more, why I can't maintain what I do, and we can use Krishna consciousness the philosophy to keep us exactly where we are and exactly where we were before we came to Krishna consciousness. See, we grow up in a world, and from what I've learned from successful materialists, is we grow up in a world where we are trained to be process-focused. We train to have no vision or purpose in life. We have been conditioned in a materialistic education system to think that, that happiness should just come with no effort. That, that, that you know, why should I work hard? Um, shouldn't I just be happy automatically? Um, we become, I've, and I've worked in the education systems in the UK and here, we teach, we don't teach children, you know, generally emotional resilience to stand on their own feet, to, feet, to be solution orientated, to move into a growth mindset. Yeah, I've had this, I'm 50 years in bodily, in my body age, and 
I've noticed that I picked up a lot of thinking that came from my father, my family and conditioning. Like my wife would say, why don't you, why do you behave like that? Why do you say that? And I say, it's just the way I am. It's just my conditioning. It's just my karma. I would say to my wife, I'd use all these excuses and justifications of why it is I'm gonna stay the way I am. And I've just got to chant my rounds. I'll just chant my rounds and then I'm gonna stay where I am. So I think it's really important. And this is my own realization so I can move forward in my bhakti. And I think it's gonna help a lot of devotees out there is that we've got to stop justifying all these things and start to see, we've got to actually become conscious of our incompetent mindset. The first step and part of the Thriving Bhakti program, the first months of the of people involved in my membership program is all around getting them to face up and become transparent with the mindset that's holding them back. And that's going to be uncomfortable. Yes. And that's another aspect that I'll talk about later is how in Bhakti we don't use mentorship properly or enough. We're all um, guilty of this. In the outside world, to have someone in your life who has the expertise and the experience and the and to be on that level of success, to have someone of that level of success in your life, in the field that you're aspiring to, to give you guidance and help is priceless. In fact, I'll give you an example. If you want to be successful in the field of property trading and, and getting into property, you have to pay someone who's successful in that industry $80,000 New Zealand dollars a year to get started in property. Right. If you want to go some NLP coaching, you want to get some sort of coaching out there, it's about $150 New Zealand an hour to have someone who's expert to help you move forward in life. Yet when we come to spiritual life, when we come into the Bhakti arena, because we haven't grown up valuing mentorship, valuing that, valuing the, the entrepreneurial mindset of following in the footsteps of the, the, the coattails of those who have success in that industry or that arena or whether it's sport. You know, I, I, I've been helping a devotee who is an expert, world class um, martial artist. And I've been coaching him on entrepreneurship because, and I said, what was your success? He said, when I was young, I realized I needed a coach and a mentor. And he leaned in with that mentor and he did what that mentor did. And that's what creates the success. But when it comes to spiritual life, how many of us honestly, hand on heart, are having a mentor in our life who's telling us what we need to hear, who's, who's making us feel uncomfortable so we can move out of our comfort zone? How many of us really go to our mentors you know, and, and and go there for the reason of moving forward or just for a chat. I mean, how, us, how many of us actually regularly on a week to week basis, week to week, yeah, touch base and become you know, completely honest and transparent where we are with our spiritual life? You know, some of the habits that we've got, the things we're not doing, how much are we just hiding? So, you know, this is really important. I'll give an example. In my entrepreneurial group, my non-Krishna conscious group, um, I have to ring my mentor every day. Otherwise, I'm I'm pretty much if I don't follow that for a certain amount of time and I don't lean in, I'm pretty much um, expelled from the group because I'm not adding. I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I'm a parked car and they only help me when I lean in. So I think we're waiting for our mentors to ring us. <laughs> no, we have to chase our mentors so that this is a side point. I talk about how we don't grow up with this this idea of valuing mentorship and training. Unless it's got, you know, obviously entrepreneurs are in the outside world, they're doing it because they're going to get materially ahead and stuff. There's that kind of motivation. So I think it's good to, this is what Thriving in Bhakti is all about. It's about addressing, becoming transparent where we're at and starting to look at the mindset as an individual that could, that could be holding us back from moving forward. 
especially when we're in situations where we can make so many excuses. Oh, I've got kids now. It's not possible. Um, things are just complicated. I'll get my sadhana and practice together in the future. This post-dated check kind of thing. And and this is all excuses. This is all um, coming from the wrong mindset. And we feel helpless and trapped. So my goal as I move forward. Oh, but how does this link to the earlier on? I was talking about my journey and outreach and all the talks I was doing. So let me link, let me link why I'm doing this for devotees now, the thriving bhakti. What happened was, is as I got involved in entrepreneurship and since COVID, I've got involved with the online world. At 50, I thought I'm going to become up to date with everything. I'm not going to follow the mainstream average thinking that, well, well, I'm old now. I should be retiring. Um, Prabhupada wasn't thinking of retiring. None of us. He was always moving forward using modern things to do. You know, the printing press was all modern. Um, you know, back to Siddhanta Salaswari Tackle was getting increasing all the printing presses using modern technology. So I was following, trying to follow in the same mindset of our spiritual entrepreneurial lineage is that I've got into online um, messaging. I've got into doing funnels, learning how to do websites, how to do podcasts, things like that, because this is where our audience is in the outreach world. So during COVID, I've created um, accountability, entrepreneurial accountability and challenges for new guests who want to take up Bhakti and try it out. And I do a 21 day challenge. I've now got I've had numerous groups this year of brand new guests coming to talks. Some of the talks that I do are very much pitched in a modern way to get people attracted to the idea of not just listening to what we have to say, but to actually take up some simple challenges every day, simple habits every day that could help them understand who they are and how they're different from the body and mind and give them clarity around that. So I've got people who come on and they just read 10 minutes every day. They chant 10 minutes of the mantra every day. They have to do a video in the morning of their intentions. I do a video every day on the WhatsApp group with them giving them and coaching them around what they're learning. And I get them to read chapter two Bhagavad Gita and they get and teaching them the foundations of Gyan, the foundations of who we are, what is the body, mind, and what is the self. And I have right now four groups and a group from Melbourne, five or six of them are now on, on this uh, challenge. So I've got into um, connecting and helping through my entrepreneurial success skills and mindset that I've been learning and the principles I've been learning and applying in the, in my non-Christian conscious business. I've been applying to attracting young people to take action and apply some of the Bhakti practices. So I've got these people chanting and reading. Um, and then devotees approached me and said, oh, can you help us? Can you, can you, can you get us? How do we get onto this type of thing? And I realized there's such a need in the, in the in-house, so to speak, the in-reach. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll do I'll do a thing for the devotees. So I did a, a webinar called the, um, the Simple Shift for Supercharged Sadhana. And I just put that on Facebook, and um, I got a whole lot of people interested, uh, a lot of devotees. Um, and I'm basically teaching them the same thing I'm doing with these new um, guests coming to Bhakti, new candidates. But then I suddenly um, had uh, Her Grace Ermola on on the webinar, she came on board and she said, there's such a need for this in our world of ISCOM. Can you, you know, this is, this is a worldwide issue. She really wants to endorse what I, what I did in my seminar. And from that seminar, which had loads of free content, there was the opportunity to, to come into my membership program um, 
where I will give so much more value and do some coaching sessions, group coaching sessions as well, and lots of resources, which I'm now putting together. So this is how my outreach journey and all my experience with entrepreneurship and being around success-minded people, um, seeing that parallel between success mindset and, and bhakti and how it's all in there and how the bhakti yogi is the real spiritual entrepreneur, or should we say entrepreneur. And realizing this is so beneficial for us in the beginning stages of bhakti to really get through the anatta navriti stage much easier and understand bhakti does require a mindset and a very important mindset of discipline and entrepreneurship. Um, and we can use a lot of resources outside of Krishna consciousness that can illuminate what is in Krishna consciousness. Um, so this is how Thriving Bhakti has come about. And I have a group right now um, who've been involved for two weeks or so, and already they're seeing a huge difference in their situation to change from the overwhelmed and struggling bhakta. This is what I call the overwhelmed struggling bhakta. This is the avatar that I'm trying to help. Those devotees who are struggling to um, move forward, to get their habits back, to actually be thriving in bhakti, um, and getting them to understand it's not a do problem. It's a thinking problem. Their mindset has to change. And this takes time. So that's why it's a community-based thing, Facebook community thing. We've got accountability every day. I've got tracking resources, goal setting. And it's about moving forward tiny, tiny increments. Because a lot of people, when they come into these memberships, when they come into these kind of programs, they feel like, well, how am I going to fit it in? It's going to be overwhelming. What I do is so simple but deep. And no, and it's not about overwhelming, struggling, already struggling bhaktas with so much more to do. It's simple daily habits that move you forward and start building momentum over a period of time. Um, so that's that's the Thriving Bhakti program. This is how it's begun. Um, and, that, and this is key to um, having these habits and mindset to move forward. It's, so this is the shift. Um, so this is this is what this podcast is all about. It's just to get you some idea of what 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 it is I, where this has come from, from all my outreach and reaching out um, to bringing new guests in and trying entrepreneurship to attract them, and even using the language of entrepreneurship um, to attract people to bhakti uh, in terms of discipline, showing that what we do isn't just a religious thing. We don't just do a religious thing. In fact, we're not religious. We are a scientific theistic movement with a scientific lifestyle that creates success. And I think this, this coating of spiritual and religiousness kind of can lull us devotees into the idea, well, I've just got to believe in Krishna. I've just got to believe it's going to be okay. If I just chant my rounds and everything will be all right. Whereas chanting our rounds is a science and how we chant our rounds and then how we live after that moment and how we actually have to work on ourselves. We have to be transparent. We have to actually be in the process of bhakti. Um, really keeps a lot of devotees and myself, I've been there struggling and spinning our wheels as if bhakti doesn't work. And I want to shift all those misconceptions and those misunderstandings out the way because it's those misunderstandings, those mindset, um, that thinking is actually the problem. It's not what you're doing so much that's the problem. It's it's the thinking behind it. So this is what Thriving Bhakti is all about. My Thriving Bhakti membership program is all about. So um, 
so this is just introducing to to me a little bit about my journey and and by the way you know it's it's not a it's not about becoming perfect it's about understanding where how we become become better and having an environment to do that and having these things in place that can support you so i will be launching again my supercharged sadhana um free webinar which has some of these key things in that where you can apply yourself the thriving back to membership program is just an extension of that where it gives you makes it easy for you it gives all you the support and the coaching and everything so you can go you know long term um and do and go the distance so so called in bhakti so i hope that sort of gives some clarification around what is this thriving bhakti uh, program um yeah, so I'll kind of leave it there and I'll be doing some more podcasts on some of the themes uh, that I cover in the membership that will really help devotees um, uh, shift that mindset and get them really thinking properly, like a, with the proper success mindset and the proper entrepreneurial mindset that yogis actually have. And I'll be talking about some of the pastimes of Prabhupada and King Prataparuja and so many in there, this persistent, consistent, never giving up attitude, never lamenting. And, and, and the idea, you know, it's like the Rupa and Sanat and Goswami. It's like, you know, they were so humble, but, but were they lazy? <laughs> were they using humility to do nothing? No, they wrote so much. They did so much. Um, so it's all about understanding proper humility deepening our understanding of humility and and also seeing our preconditioning prior to Krishna consciousness, how we can be kind of, what's the word, sustaining it and, and feeding it in the name of Krishna consciousness when we're actually meant to be going beyond. And, and, I, and, and really my goal, to be honest, my real goal is I want to create real leaders, leaders who are trained in the proper mindset um uh, devotees who have big goals and visions i think in the name of humility we limit our visions we we don't make plans and visions for our lives in bhakti we just think well i'll just chant Hare krishna and, and krishna is going to do everything but actually our lineage is big dreamers big visionaries who had big goals and ambitions and we should think big we are following the footsteps of our uh, parampara and the best example is Prabhupada. He was envisaging, envisioning, envisioning <laughs> temples even before they were created. He had such high visions of what was going to happen. He never, he was persistent. All adversity that came along was all part of the journey that of not giving up. In Jansi, for instance, I'll talk about that. You know, a year he tried to start up the League of Devotees. He was always trying different things. He was a, he was really the perfection of spiritual entrepreneurship. And that's what we're meant to be in Bhakti. We're not meant to be whingy, wimping, um, Kali, you know, uh, whinging Kali, you guys just whinging about things and how and having limiting beliefs and limiting and how things are impossible. In fact, Prabhupada said impossible is a word in a fool's dictionary. How do we live up to that in our tiny little worlds where we are right now? I know what you're thinking. Prabhupada was Prabhupada. But in our tiny little worlds in Krishna consciousness, we can do so much. We can leave a, a huge legacy if we're just willing to get out of our comfort zone and be comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where we should be placing ourselves. So that's my real drive and vision. I'd like to, like to see more and more devotees in the world becoming powerful entrepreneurs who overcome adversity, who thrive in adversity, who are willing to go above the average 
you know, in all societies and all arenas of life, including our own Christian conscious, we have average. But then we have those who are really willing to step in to the excitement and the forefront of Bhakti and become spiritual entrepreneurs, visionaries. And um, that's that's the kind of devotees I would like to um, inspire and follow and, and work with uh, in my thriving in Bhakti. So um, I'll leave this for now. If um, if you want to know any more, um, you can um, contact me uh, via um, Bhadrasena at entrepreneurs.com. Um, That's uh, Bhadrasena, B-H-A-D-R-A-S-E-N-A, at entrepreneurs. That's O-M, entrepreneurs, with an S, dot com. And, you know, um, I'm happy for you to write to me if you have any. And you can also leave comments here. And I'll let you know in upcoming podcast when I'll be relaunching the Shift for Supercharged Sadhana um, and opening up the doors again to my Thriving thriving in Bhakti membership program. So have a wonderful day in Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna.